Well, good morning, Hillcrest. My name's Nate. I'm one of the pastors here. Great to be with you this morning. All of you joining us online, thanks so much for being us this, uh, with us this morning. And uh, you know what? There's, there's just some times in our lives when we all have pain, when we have uh, sorrow. That's right. Thanks, Don. But if we are wise, maybe we could sing this together. We know that there's always tomorrow. Lean on me. Here we go. When you're not strong and I'll be your friend, I'll help you carry on. I see some swaying. Whoa. It won't be long till I'm gonna need somebody to lean on. All right, good job, guys. Thanks, Don. Give him a hand. And that's church. We'll see you next Sunday. No, I'm just A good way to start this morning, though, being reminded of uh, friendship, that we are in this together, that we need each other. There's just times in our lives when we need to lean on someone else. We need someone alongside us, someone to carry us, support us. And there's times when we come alongside others and lean and help them give someone to lean on, to support them. I think about, uh, about six months ago, we were still in Denver and I was on my way down to a funeral at Fort Logan, a military funeral. I was going to be the pastor there and I was, family was waiting on me. I was heading down and one of my kids called me and their car had broken down and they were on the side of a major road in Arvada uh, not sure what to do, um, you know, not knowing a lot about the car, not really had no idea how to get it going again, what to do. And, and I could not go and help. I couldn't turn around. I had to get to this funeral. I had to be, you know, military funerals. They don't mess around. You've got a, a window of time and you've got to be there for that time. And uh, Angela was out of town and I wasn't sure what to do. So I said, don't worry, I'll fi- well, let's figure something out. I'll call you back in a few minutes. And I began to go through that list of people that I need to lean on, right? The list of, of friends that I knew could show up for August in that moment. It was a Tuesday afternoon about one o'clock, so like who's not at work right now? Who doesn't have little kids at home that might, you know, they need to focus on? Uh, who's got availability? And, and then who can I bother, right? <laughs> who can I irritate and uh, bug today with this request? And uh, after a little while of thinking, Bob came to mind. I thought of Bob. I knew Bob. He was retired. I knew he'd be volunteering at a community food bank that, that afternoon and that it was flexible and that he might, he knew about cars and maybe he'd be able to respond. So I called up Bob. I said, Bob, one of my kids is stuck on the road. I'm heading to a funeral. Can you help him out? He said, Nate, I got it. Don't worry about it. You go do what you need to do. I'll take care of this. And uh, after the funeral, I was heading back home, and I called up August, and he's like, he said, Bob was great. He showed up, checked out the car, helped me figure out what was going on. We knew we couldn't fix it there, so he helped me find a tow truck. And my friend showed up to take me to work, and while I was heading to work, Bob stayed with the car until the tow truck came and got it taken care of. And so uh, we worked to say thanks to Bob, but I thought, I am so glad that I had that friendship with Bob. You know, these are the kinds of friendships that you can't make in the moment. You know, when you have the need... You've got to already have the relationships going. It, it, it takes time to invest in those kinds of friendships, but it's worth the effort because I'd show up for Bob and he showed up for me. And we need friendships like this. We need others that we can lean on, that we can trust, that we know they'll show up for us. I think about the creation story back in Genesis. God creates Adam and we're told that their relationship was close and intimate. 
that they walked together in the woods there, in the forest, that, that there was nothing between Adam and his God. There was no rebellion, no battle, no fight going on, no sin that was causing there to be brokenness in their relationship. They had a close connection. And in Genesis chapter 2, God looks at Adam and he says, it's not good for Adam to be alone. Have you ever thought about what that means? He had this amazing connection with God, community with God, and yet God still saw a a loneliness in Adam's, a disconnection for Adam. We we talk often about how we have this God-shaped void in our souls that only God can fill, a need that we have to be in connection with our creator. And God looked at Adam and said, there's a a human-shaped space in Adam's soul. And God said, I'm not going to fill that. It's not good for him to be alone. And he created a partner to be alongside Adam in his life. We, we need each other. We need connection and community. We are created in the image of a connectional God, so we need connection with others. And we're going to look at that this morning as we go into the seventh week of this series, looking at the life of Moses in the book of Exodus. We've called this series, uh, Wandering Not Lost, because Moses and the people, they, they wandered in that wilderness area in the Middle East for 40 years, but they knew where they were going. They knew the destination the land of promise. They weren't lost. They knew where they were going, but they just wandered and took the long route to get there. And as they wandered, as they walked, God was still at work. God was redefining their national identity, speaking into their communal worship, their personal understanding of the holiness of Yahweh, the one true God. And just like Israel, there's times in our lives when we feel like we're maybe wandering a bit. We're not lost, but we're definitely off-road and wondering what God is doing in this season of our lives. And it's good to be reminded that there's a people of God that went through that as well. They, They found that God was still trustworthy and good and with them even as they wandered. And so just a reminder for you this morning, you may be wandering this morning, but you're not lost. God is with you. He's got you and he's walking with you. Today we're going to look at a story found in Exodus 17. So if you want to grab your Bibles or open up your Bible app, We're going to go to Exodus 17 and and continue to look at these stories of Moses. And just a quick review, we've been looking at his story in the book of Exodus, and we know the Jewish people were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They cried out to God for freedom, and he sent Moses and Aaron, and they came, and God revealed his power to Pharaoh through uh, these plagues, these terrible, 10 terrible things that happened in Egypt. And over the course of those several weeks of these plagues, Pharaoh's stubborn heart was softened. He eventually let the people go, and they began to move towards the promised land. And as they began to head that way, they saw God do amazing things. They saw him as they were in a dead end by the sea, just open up the sea. I like to imagine if you've ever been to an aquarium and walked through one of those uh, tunnels under the aquarium where you're looking at all the fish above you, you know, maybe that's what it was like. You know, they walked on dry ground to the prom- towards the promised land. God did amazing things for them. They saw acidic and undrinkable waters and, and Mara be turned into Uh, fresh water that they could drink. God brought them herds of quail when they were hungry and they were longing for meat. And God said, well, here's the meat you need for today. Uh, They they cried out for bread. They wanted bread. And God created this thing called manna. I like to think it was like the first Swedish pancakes out on the desert floor there, you know, crispy and delicious. And it only lasted a day, but he provided it for the people in a miraculous way. And finally, as they're in this desert region called Rephidim, God brings water out of a rock. Just Moses, just the water comes pouring out for them to drink. He provides for them in miraculous ways. And then we show up into this story, 
where God begins to move in a different way in the people of Israel. Look at uh, Exodus 17, verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. Okay, so there's this people group, the Amalekites. Say Amalekites with me. Would you do that, Amalekites? Amalekites, all right, there's your word for the day. Uh, you can use that later somewhere. Um, I'm sure you can find a way to plug that in. These Amalekites sort of come out of nowhere, and I'm always surprised that they came and started to attack, attack the people of God. I'm wondering, did they miss the news reports of what happened in Egypt? Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world at that time, and, and they were not able to stand against God and the people of God. In fact, their entire chariot army was wiped out by God at the sea of uh, the, the, the uh, Red Sea, and, and, and here comes these Amalekites. Did they not, you know, read the newspaper that God was on the move through these people, and they show up, and they start to attack the people of God. Some people trace their uh, lineage back to the grandson of Esau, a man named Amalek. Uh, we read about him in Genesis 36. But it's this group that shows up, and they become like a thorn in the side of the Jewish people. They just continue to come back and, and bother them and persecute them and attack them and come after them. And we don't see them finally dealt with until 400 years later when the second king of Israel, King David, is able to finally deal with them. They become symbolic of any person or system or power that stands in the way of God and, and tries to keep God from doing what God wants to do. And Moses would later write in Deuteronomy these words about the Amalekites. He would say, remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt, when you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. These are the people that come against Israel in the wilderness. And Moses turns to a new character in the Exodus story and says, Joshua, go find some men. Get an army together and go battle against these Amalekites. Now, Joshua, is just, he just pops in. There's no real introduction. There's no description of who he is. And I, I think it's probably because Moses was writing these words some 30 years later. And at that time, Joshua was poised to become the new leader of Israel. He was their, their general. He had been this one of only two spies that had believed that God would give them the land. They saw Joshua as a leader, and everyone knew his name. So Moses just has to say here, Joshua showed up, and I told Joshua to go. And, and what's Moses going to do? He says, I'm going to go up on the hill, and I'm going to hold up the staff of God, and, and that's what I'm going to do. Now, Moses isn't running away. He's not taking the easy road. He, he understands what his role is. Joshua is going to lead the battle, and Moses' role is to stand on the hill and hold up the staff of God. This, this same, same staff that, that turned the Nile River into blood, that turned the dust of Egypt into gnats. It's the same staff that he lifted up towards the sky and hail and thunder rolled and fell to the earth. It's, it's the staff that Moses held up and, and the seas parted and the people walked across on dry ground. This staff represented the power and the presence of God for the people of God. And Moses says, I'm going to hold it up and remind everyone that this is God at work that God is present, that God is with us, that it's the power of God that is delivering us in this battle. Now, again, Moses could have just, I mean, God could have just done it on his own, right? 
in this story, as we've been reading through it so far, God's just done it. He's worked through the staff, but then he would do miraculous things. God could have just caused the earth to open up and the Amalekites just to fall inside, you know, and him to close it up over them. He could have just done it on his own. But here in this moment, he decides he's going to do it in a different way. He's going to work through the people. He's going to work through Joshua and the army and Moses up on this hill. So let's go back to the story here. Look at verse 11. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. A very interesting image we're given here of what it looked like during this battle. I wonder how Moses and, and Joshua experienced it as they saw it sort of playing out. What did it look like when Moses had his hand up and they were winning the battle and then when his arm would become tired and the, the staff would drop and the Amalekites began to win? What did that look like? How did the, did the battle lines move back and forth? How could they know that suddenly they were winning or suddenly they were losing? And this scene with Moses sitting on the rock and Aaron and Hur holding up his arms, one with the staff in it, you know, just a, an amazing picture for us of how God begins to work through his people, how he begins to move in a new way through the people of Israel. And he says, I'm going to work through you now. I'm not just going to work for you. I'm going to work through you. And you're going to work through one another. You're going to support one another. The Bible tells us that when the people first left Israel, God was not ready to do this in them. Exodus 7, uh, 13 says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their mind and return to Egypt. God says they weren't ready when they first left Egypt. They weren't ready to face a battle, to have to be involved. They, they needed to see that I was good and faithful and with them and that I had the power to take care of them. So it was several weeks later after they had seen God do amazing things, and now, now they were ready. Now they were ready for God to display his power, his plan, his presence through them in a much more personal way on the battlefield, on the mountaintop, holding up Moses' arms. They were able to see that God was infusing them with his power, and it gave them courage to do what he called them to do. God chooses to work through his people um, to, to change the ancient world, to show the, the Amalekites that there is one true God. There is one God who is in control, and he reveals himself to them and, and to those who chose to partner with him. Let's go back to the story in verse 13. Just finish this up. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. So God says, write this down. Put it on a scroll. I want people to remember this. This is the first reference in the Bible to uh, God's instruction to write things down, to, to take the stories and the songs that the people were singing around the, the tents and around the campfires at night. And he says, I want you to get these down on paper so that my people remember, so that Joshua remembers and doesn't forget that I stood with you and I helped you and I was there with you. I want Joshua to, Joshua to remember those that will no longer be remembered, those that I will blot out their memory because I am the one true God. I am the Lord, your banner, the name that Moses gives him, the one who leads you into battle, the one who fights for us. Last week, we talked about 
the people being stuck between the, the water and, and Pharaoh's army that was coming. And in their fear, Moses says to them, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. But now God says, I want you out there. I want you on the battlefield. I want you displaying my glory, showing off the power and presence of God to the people of Israel. He says, Moses, I want you up on that mountaintop, reminding them that I am with them. I am your banner. I am going to lead you through this. In Psalm 103, people begin to understand this greater story of their God. Psalm 103, it says, The Lord does what is right and fair for all who are beaten down. He told Moses all about his plans. He let the people of Israel see his mighty acts. The Lord is tender and kind. He is gracious and slow to anger. He is full of love. He won't keep bringing charges against us. He won't stay angry with us forever. The Lord of the battle is also the Lord of love and tenderness and kindness and patience. And we begin to experience this God in our lives when we surrender to what Jesus did for us on the cross. When Jesus died on that cross, we were offered a forgiveness that we can't earn on our own, a, a grace from God that he says to us, I want to be with you. And, and we move from those who are opposed to God, those who rebelled against God and push away from God. We, we were changed and we became the children of God, sons and daughters of the Most High. And his forgiveness has transformed our lives and Jesus would say to his friends, he said, I no longer uh, call you disciples, I call you my friends because I've revealed God to you. You are with me, you are my friends. God is battling for us, revealing his love and his grace for us through men and women who humbly walk in his presence. You are the light of the world and God has called you to bring light into dark places. Who do we fight against? What do we fight against now? Oh, well, it's certainly not against people, Right? We know that our battles are no longer against those created in the image of God, those who are loved by God, because you will never lock eyes with someone who is not made in God's image. You will never encounter a person who is not walking around with the, the image of God somehow connected to their life, because that's how God created all people. The battle we fight is not with people, but with distractions and preoccupations of this life. Scripture tells us that the battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realms. God doesn't want us waging war against his other kids. He wants us to be those who love well and allow him to fight. There's a, 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 an author and professor, Peter Inns, who writes about this. He says, the battle is all around us and it's waged in many unexpected and barely uh, perceptible ways. The friendships we keep, the fear of the future, the words we use with our spouses and our kids that show our self-centeredness, our avoidance of prayer, the corruption of simple pleasures that God has given us, and so forth. Since so we have to fight this battle in our own world, in our own lives, and stand up with those who are fighting it as well. God wants to use us to make a difference in this world, to bring light to dark places. So who, who can you bring light to today? Whose life can you illuminate what are the places God's going to invite you to speak words of truth and grace and in your neighborhood, in your places of work, at school, among your family today? It's Halloween, right? So tonight, many of us are going to be having kids coming by the door and meeting parents and meeting neighbors. And, and how can God use this night to bring light to those who are around us? In the story, we're reminded that we don't bring light because we are so good. 
We bring light because God is so good and because he wants to work through us. The battle for Moses and Joshua was won from the hilltop, not in the battlefield. It was as Moses held up that staff that the battle was won. The hill is where the battle's won, not in the strong hands of Joshua and the fighting men on the field, but it was won in the posture of Moses on that hill as he stood in the presence of God, lifting his hands, holding up that, that staff, reminding the people that God was present and with them. And with those two men on either side of him, helping him to carry the load. And that, that image of Aaron and her holding up his arms, what a wonderful image of love, what love looks like. What it looks like to love someone well, to, to lift them up and to support them when they are tired and weak. John would write about this kind of love in the New Testament. John was one of uh, Jesus' followers, walked closely with Jesus for years, and then, and then wrote about the stories of Jesus in the Gospel of John, and then wrote three other letters uh, in the New Testament, and also wrote the book of Revelation at the end. And 1 John chapter 4, John writes these words about love, what it means to love. He says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another... God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Isn't that an amazing statement, that God's love is made complete in us? When I think about God's love, I, I think it's complete. I feel like it's kind of filled out and full. And what John is saying here is that when we live it out, when we give it physicalness, when we reveal it to those around us, it, it gets shown in a different way. It finds complete, completeness and fullness in a different way when we love one another, when we care for those around us. The New Testament says that we should love one another, be at peace with one another, show kindness to one another, pray for one another, forgive one another, encourage one another, humbly serve one another, instruct one another, stop judging one another, carry one another. All these one another's that we're called to do and of course, you can't one another without the other, right? You can't express love without someone in your life that you are expressing it toward and that is expressing it towards us. You can't love and encourage and serve and instruct and forgive without the other. Moses needs Aaron and her, and Aaron and her, they need Moses. They're in this relationship together. We need one another. We're created for this. We are made this way. A few verses later in 1 John, he writes these words down. Chapter 4, verse 20, he says, Anyone who says he loves God, but in fact hates his brother or sister, is a liar. He doesn't love his brother or sister whom he has seen, so how can he love God whom he has not seen? Those are some strong words that John shares with us from God. Have you ever been so mad with someone that you would say, I just hate them, I hate that person? John says when we live that way, we can't love God. We can't hate someone else and then love, made in the image of God and then love God. Those words are so strong. It makes me wonder, is that really true? Is that really true? John says, if you claim, I know God, while you're treating someone in your, in your life in unloving ways, he says, you're being inauthentic. You're being disingenuous. You're lying to yourself, either by accident or on purpose. If you've truly experienced a greater love from God, then you will express a deeper love, a love that is able to stand up when someone else attacks or betrays or hurts you. You will be able to exp exp uh, reveal a greater kind of love, a deeper love. One of the commentaries I read said this about that kind of love. 
from 1 John. It said, some, some think that love is what makes a person feel good, that it's all right to sacrifice moral principles and others' rights in order to obtain such love, a love that feels good. But that is the opposite of real love. That's selfishness. Real love is holy and just and perfect like God. Those who truly know God will love as he does. Because real love is much more than just a feeling. It's a choice that we make. It's an action that we decide to do. Too often, people can't hear us say, I love you, because our actions are saying so loudly, I don't have time for you. Or what I need is more important than what you need. My life is more important than your life. When we say that with our actions, people can't hear that God loves them, that we love them. Our love is complete and mature when it makes God visible. When it makes our invisible, immortal, immeasurable, incredible, impossible, this love of God that we can't understand, when we receive that from God, we are able to reveal a deeper kind of love, a love that makes him visible to others. It comes from this dynamic place in our hearts that gives us purpose and power to come alongside others and, and love them well, even when they don't receive it well. Even when maybe we've had a hard time with them, we can love them well. We're supposed to make God visible, express this deeper love. It's, it's easy to claim, I love you, when it doesn't cost us anything. And, and Jesus reminds us that, that we need to surrender our lives, to lay our lives down to serve those around us and express that kind of love to them. We all need this kind of love and we can express it to others as well. I'm sure you could think of times in your life when you needed someone to love you this way. You needed someone else to come alongside and to lift you up and to strengthen you and to, to be with you in, in some dark times, to reveal, to reveal God to you in that way. I think about six years ago when our family was going through a really terrible time. We were being torn apart. And in that dark season, I became a single dad and had my three kids at home and I was alone. And I remember his Mother's Day of that year. And uh, we were just trying to understand what is God doing? It just was so painful. And we had some friends, Wendell and Gracie, and they used to drive by our house often. And, and one weekend, Mother's Day weekend, they stopped by our house and they had brought, they had seen the planters in front of our house. So they were just empty, just piles of dirt. And they had stopped by our house. They came up to the door and said, hey, we brought flowers. We brought plants. We want to help you fill those planters in front of your house. And I came out with my three kids and spent an hour or so with Gracie and Wendell, you know, putting together some, some beauty in front of our house, some life something new. And, and I was so reminded that God was with us, that God loved us, that we were not alone, that people were with us, that God was sending his people to support us. And I was so thankful that my kids got to see the church being the church, the people of God coming alongside us and showing that kind of love to us. It made God real. It revealed God to us. Who can you love well today? Who can you support and care for? Who can you stand next to and, and hold them up? What is God inviting you to do? And remember, it, it goes both ways. You're going to have times in your life when you need someone else to show up for you. You're going to need them. To, you're going to have to ask for that help. Don't be afraid to ask for that because there's people that want to be alongside you. There's people that want to come in and help support you. And it's great to have those relationships, those kinds of friendships developed already not in the crisis moment, but to have, be building into community even today, reaching out, growing friendships 
so that there's people that can come alongside you as well. Moses was loved by Aaron and her as they held up his arms, and he was loving them right back, holding up that staff, reminding them of the presence of God in their lives and in this wandering community, the Jewish people. This was the real first battle they had uh, against another foe, against, you know, and God was working through them, and they were to remember it, that God showed up, that God was with them, that he expressed his presence to them and his power. And the mission we have today is just as critical that we would love those around us. We've, we've been called to fight for that kind of love, to express that deeper kind of love to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our friends at school, to our family. So, so may you love God as he has loved you. May you bring a light to your community because God is lighting you up. May you experience the victory in the battles that you face because the people of God, this community is standing with you and for you and they are lifting you up. Might you know that kind of love, that kind of life. And let's ask God to continue to help us reveal that in our neighborhoods, even today. So will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you that you are here with us right now, that your love for us is real. And we are so thankful that we get to be involved in revealing it to the world around us. The Bible says that we are uh, light, that we are salt, that we bring out the God flavors of the world, that we shine light in dark places. Father, we are so thankful that you choose to work through us because we know you don't have to, but you want to. And so I just pray, Lord, that, that as your sons and daughters, we would see you at work in our lives today, that we would see those that you would have us express love toward, that we would be able to reveal you to the world around us, that, Father, they, they may not be able to see you, but they can see you through us. And so we pray that, that you will allow us to be involved in your kingdom today. And right now, Lord, I, I, I just ask that you would put someone on each one of our hearts, that right now we would see someone, a neighbor, a friend, a family member, we would have a name of someone, and that you would allow us today to express love to them, someone who needs to be reminded that they are not alone, that that diagnosis is not the end of the story, that that relationship that's being pulled apart is not over, Lord, that you are still at work. Father, would you allow us to be involved in bringing that good news, that people who feel like they have messed up so bad that they could never be forgiven, Lord, would you allow us to remind them that you are a God who forgives, that your grace is greater than we can understand. Lord, might you use us today to bring light to dark places, to express your love, to hold up the hands of those around us who are tired and weary. Thank you, Father, for that call in our life. And thank you for being our power and our strength and our example. Even your son, Jesus Christ, it's in his name we pray. Amen.